This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. Contrary to earlier hopeful optimism, the recently released property sector numbers paints a dismal picture. Based on Q1 2023 data released from the National Property Information Centre, or commonly known as NAPIC, there was a 5.7% decrease year-on-year in the property market transaction count as compared to Q1 2022. The residential subsector suffered even more and it decreased at a higher rate of 6.6%. Is the bleak numbers a result of buyer confidence or rising interest rates, lack of foreign interest, tightening lending guidelines or all of the above? To help us make sense of the NAPIC numbers, the supply overhang numbers and what it could mean moving forward for 2023, we speak with Long Kokwen, Senior Analyst, RHB Investment Bank. Good morning, Kokwen, and welcome to The Property Show. Yeah, morning, Mark. Good morning. So, the Q1 Malaysia GDP numbers registered a healthy 5.6% growth rate, but the bullishness of the economy has not translated over to the property sector. In your data analysis, what accounts for the rather bleak Q1 property transaction numbers? You know, a lot of media reports say it could be due to the interest rate hikes. But I think there could be other reasons as well. In November, you know, we, we just formed a unity government and hence a lot of uh, approvals were delayed in government agencies, etc. Property buyers may also be digesting the stability of politics uh, as well as economic outlook ahead uh, before making their big ticket item purchases. If you look at the transaction data in 2022, especially second half, the numbers are still quite okay despite rounds of interest rate hikes and rising inflationary pressure. So, you know, to some extent, the demand for property is still rather decent and resilient. So it may be just a, a timing factor. You mentioned rising interest rates and lack of foreign interest. How about buyer confidence? Is the consumer market in Malaysia still vibrant? I am not too bearish. To a certain extent, consumption is still rather healthy in tandem with the economic recovery. So to a certain extent, the demand for property will still stay rather resilient, even though, you know, with the interest rate hikes and inflationary pressure. Now, do you see the financial institutions tightening their lending guidelines towards the property sector? Since MCO, you know, our COVID-19 pandemic and until now, I think the banks are still practicing their usual credit assessment. They have not tightened further. They also have not loosened their lending policies. It hasn't changed much, but we as, as borrowers, we need to have better income level and good credit profile to get our mortgage. So on face value, it appears that Malaysia's uh, secondary property prices have remained largely flat for a number of years. And some locations and property types have even seen deflating prices. What does your data show? Okay, house price is very much flat at low single digit over the past few years, yes. Of course, this is primarily due to our oversupply issue. But let's not forget our economic growth as well and political landscape and currency strength in these few years. So all these factors are affecting the health of the overall property market. Of course, in certain established areas, we can still see slightly better growth in property prices. And these are mainly the mature townships or commercial centres. So, you know, it really depends on location and it's very much location specific. So we'll go back to the three basic rules, right? It's location, location, and location. 
Yes, correct. Now, one subsector that seems to have bucked the trend was the commercial properties, which had a 14.5% growth rate. Now, is this a false dawn or are we seeing a promising optimism for commercial properties for the rest of 2023? Yeah, you're, you are right. You know, the demand for, for commercial properties still quite encouraging and the buyers for this sub-segment is largely coming from investors, cash-rich investors. They buy for investment purpose, for, for rental, for yield. So most of the time, we see good take-up for shop lots in established townships, which means that the rental prospects are more promising. So yeah, we will likely see the trend continue on for this year. So you've mentioned shop lots, but I'm just wondering, does this commercial property types, will it also extend to standard factory lots and office spaces? Office space, yes, perhaps, but industrial will be categorised under industrial properties. Do we also see that as a good investment opportunity? Yeah. In fact, industrial properties are getting more popular and more listed developers are trying to expand this segment as well. Of course, the absolute value for industrial properties is much higher for 5 million or 7, 8 million. This segment will be very niche and developers can only attract certain segment of, of the population, which is the very high net worth individuals or investors to buy these type of properties. So yes, industrial is actually a very attractive property segment now, but Again, location, location, location. We need to choose strategic location for your investment in industrial properties so then you can get that kind of yield that you want. And speaking about yield, so what kind of yields can an investor expect if they are investing in a shop lot, a factory lot or an office space? Well, I guess for industrial, is average yield we are looking at around 6%, uh, 6.5%. For office, the yield may be lower unfortunately because the rental for office lots is uh is not that encouraging because uh, rental rate for office segment has been rather subdued as reflected in some of the office rates that we see so in a sense uh industrial is still more attractive but shop lots for example we are still seeing around four to four and a half percent for those shop lots in established townships correct and, and at four percent i think it's obviously much more attractive than residential yields, which is hovering about 2 maybe at best 3%. Yes, yes, correct. Now, central banks around the world have been raising rates to address inflationary concerns, and even Bank Nagara recently increased the overnight policy rate by 25 basis points. Now, property investments have always traditionally been touted as an inflation hedge. Is that still true today? Regarding inflation hedge, yes, logically, yes. Um, but for Malaysia property market... Um, I don't think it's a good inflation uh, hitch in the recent round of inflation upcycle uh, as property prices did not go up that much compared to our CPI or real inflation on the ground, especially, you know, food inflation, which I believe you will also complain about that. I have already explained the factors early on affecting our local property prices earlier. So unfortunately, we are not able to enjoy uh, that kind of asset reflation this round. Right. So our Malaysian investors are placing their money elsewhere rather than property these days. Yeah, yeah. You can see the, the some data from, I think, from a property agent in, in Singapore as well. Uh, the top foreign buyers for Singapore properties is coming from China. Then second largest, surprisingly, is Malaysia. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Singapore because I was just about to touch base on it. So Singapore, 
has a foreigner additional buyer stamp duty, ABSD, which they recently increased to 60%. And yet their property market is still so much in demand. Why is that? Yeah, the, the stamp duty is quite painful when, when we look at the numbers. Um, but I think, you know, over the years and also, you know, after uh, multiple rounds of cooling measures that the government uh, imposed, um, you know, Singapore property market is still coming up quite well, uh, largely because I think, you know, the country as a whole, as well as the currency strength, are able to give investors confidence, meaning that, you know, when we buy uh, properties in Singapore, at least, you know, you won't see the, the currency uh, depreciate. So, so in a sense, you know, the value, the prices will be more stable uh, in Singapore. So, so I think, you know, this is largely the, the case for Singapore property market. So for this round, you know, even uh, despite the government, you know, raised the, uh, the ABSD uh, further, I think, you know, the property market will probably, who just cool down for maybe a few months, then I think, you know, the, the wealthy individuals in the region will go back to the Singapore property market again. So earlier on, you said that our property market also seems to have a lack of foreign interest coming in. And, and, and I believe we all agree that Malaysian high-end properties must look like a bargain compared to Singapore and other cities in ASEAN, right? So why do you think there's a lack of uh, foreign interest coming into Malaysia? So I think first of all is uh, it has got to do with you know our our ringgit strength, which uh, I guess you know everyone will be able to see the trend, um, how it depreciates over the years, and uh, I think recently yeah it recently is is not as good. And secondly, in the past also uh, we have um, you know government policies that are flip flopping. Thirdly. Uh, you know, in I think last year or two years ago, the government uh, raised the threshold for MM2H uh, requirements. Um, but I think recently, uh, there are some media reports saying that the, the requirements will be reviewed again. Uh, but I mean, I don't know when they will make the announcement on the revision, if there's any. So, you know, um, it's very important for Malaysia as a country to give sufficient confidence to foreigners um, so that they are willing to come into Malaysia and, and buy or invest in our properties. Um, yeah, really, I mean, I always mention about currency because currency reflects the confidence level on our country and what are the, the factors behind uh, politics and economic growth. You're absolutely right when you mention the changing rules and regulations with regards to the My Second Home program. Right? So in your opinion, what should the government do either to open or liberalise or to make it more consistent so that the foreigners will take the opportunity to come back in here again under the MM2H program? I think a, a decent level of requirements are good um, so that you know we are not raising the bar too high nor too low. We want to attract those the, the quality foreigners who can bring in money, uh, who can, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, boost our uh, consumption uh, uh, in, in Malaysia, in the local economy. So, so I think, you know, the, the authority will need to, will need to have, a, have a balance um, so that the requirements are deemed friendly, not too tough, and the, the foreigners are willing to come back in under M the MM2H program and, you know, then we'll have to spill over to the broader economy. 
On the property show this morning is Long Kok Wen, Senior Analyst, RHB Investment Bank. When we come back from the break, we look at the property sector from the developer's viewpoint. This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the property show, where in the chair this morning is Long Kok Wen, Senior Analyst, RHB Investment Bank. Before the break, we look at the property sector numbers and buyer's viewpoint. Now, Kokwen, local government developing minister Nga Koming has recently reported that there are 27,746 houses worth 18.45 billion ringgit that have been completed but have yet to be sold at the end of Q4 2022. And of special attention was that the largest overhang is for the mid-end properties where 9,323 units priced between 500k to 1 million remain unsold. Now, this price range is the sweet spot for the M40. Is there a real cause for concern moving forward with such overhang numbers? Yes, yes, of course. Um, I mean, you know, why why this segment is seeing growing overhang is also, you know, I mean, four or five years ago, many private developers, uh, as well as the listed ones, started targeting this segment, especially those ranging, uh, say, 300 to 600,000 and to a certain extent, you know, the, the government should have controlled the supply uh, by managing the approvals given the develop, uh, given to developers. So, of course, you know, the government will, will say, oh, we, we don't have the data and all, and they are now developing the big data so that they know uh, the, the potential demand or supply uh, in certain area. But, you know, I think the, the damage is done, really. So, you know, it's up to the developers themselves to unwind the unsold units. So you're right. We do note that Malaysian developers also seem to have slowed down their launches and most likely they're waiting for the overhang numbers to drop further. Now, from your data, is this slowdown across the country or do you see certain states like Johor, Selangor and even Penang bucking this trend? Well, of course, you know, compared to, let's say, uh, eight, ten years ago during the, the upcycle, uh, the number of launches or the amount of launches are slowing down in the recent years. Um, but compared to last year or two years ago, um, I think launches in, in first half so far this year uh, is still quite okay. And this year, compared to last year also, I think, you know, developers are, are going to launch more products this year. But for this year's launches, many of them are scheduling to roll out new projects in second half, uh, i.e. from May, June onwards. In fact, you know, the, the planned launches for, for most developers under my coverage are higher in terms of GDP, which means the value. Um, I think the, the confidence is mainly coming from the sales performance last year, uh, which kind of surprised me also given that, you know, we had multiple rounds of rate hikes amidst uh, rising inflationary pressure. But yet, uh, sales were flat from 2021. I had expected a drop, but this is not the case. So I think, yeah, back to your question, compared to 10 years ago, yes, launches definitely uh, have gone down. But compared to last year or two years ago, uh, amount of launches are coming back up again. Now, the developers that you cover, are they throwing aggressive discounts to clear their remaining unsold units to keep up the sales rate that you just mentioned? Well, um, some aggressive, some not too aggressive. Um, in fact, many of them started winding down their unsold stock since uh, three, four years ago. Some, you know, offer attractive discounts and rebates, but they are still making uh, a thin margin. Uh, of course, you know, some some have done kitchen sinking and hence, you know, they, they are lowering their prices a lot more. So, you know, given their effort, I think a few of them 
uh, managed to contain their unsold inventory at relatively low level already, uh, while some are still facing high inventory level. Um, but I think overall conditions are much better now if, if you compare to, let's say, three, four years ago. Um, the residential overhang units are now below the 30,000 level and yeah, hopefully the downtrend will continue. Now, this seems to be a story as old as time, but is it still a case of mismatch between demand and supply? And why haven't developers learned and adapted from this? Um, well, I mean, you know, I think all stakeholders will need to play their part. Land prices, building material and labour costs have gone up quite a fair bit. I mean, it's not only in Malaysia, it's in, it's in many countries as well. So it's not easy for developers to lower their selling prices, considering that they still need to make some uh, decent return. Uh, but over the years, profit margin has been trending down. So developers have no choice but to sell lower price property products to match with affordability level. I mean, for the government or authority side, at the same time, you know, they will need to relook at compliance costs um, so that overall development uh, costs for developers will be lower. Uh, more importantly, you know, the, the country need to bring up overall income level um, so that affordability can improve. If the income level and economic growth are better, I think, you know, we can easily solve the mismatch and overhang issue. Now, talking about the role of government and local councils, should the local council approvals be stricter in terms of determining the property type, the density requirements that, you know, based on all these proposals that the developers submit to them for approval? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. But a lot of time also, you know, some authority may not have the relevant data or, you know, that there could be some other reasons. And hence, we still can see projects with very high density in certain places. I think you are right. We we are probably not that strict yet. But, you know, I mean, developers themselves also will need to take some responsibility because they have the land in that area and they should know the potential competition coming from the surrounding area. So if they build too many units or the timing is not right, they will end up with a lot of unsold inventory. So all stakeholders will have their own responsibility. The business model for Malaysian developers is still very much a sell-then-build, which in my opinion favours the developers as they take on less risk. And previously, there were talks before on adopting a build-then-sell model, which will surely pressurise the developers to pay more attention to feasibility studies and market demand for their launches. Has there been any progress made on this, or has this whole build-and-sell idea fallen on the wayside? Um, well, I haven't heard of anything yet, um, but on this build-then-sell model, it is not easy to be adopted and only developers with solid balance sheet and cash flow can do that. And as you know, they will need sufficient cash flow to fund the project until the very end. So if you know build-then-sell model is implemented, uh, we will likely see less number of launches as well because developers will have to allocate their cash flow, allocate their, their, yeah, their balance sheet to undertake certain projects uh, at a time. So yeah, you're right. The industry talked about that before, but you know, so far there's nothing yet and it's not implemented. Correct. And the build and sell does help buyers that may face abandoned project risks when the developers don't complete their project and they're stuck with their loans. Yep. And uh, Conwin, finally, given the current situation with our property market where there's an abundance of supply, depressed rental yields and increasing mortgage interest rates, in your opinion, is property investment still 
worth looking at or should investors put their money elsewhere? Of course, like what you say, you know, interest rate is higher, which means that your fixed deposit rate is also higher. So to a, to to some extent or yeah, some some buyers, potential property buyers or some individuals may find putting their money in the bank better given minimal risk compared to buying a property that, you know, that just give you uh, a bit of a spread compared to spread from the FD rate. Of course, the, the environment is making property investment less favorable. But I think, you know, if the prices are still rather decent and there's properties in very good location, I think, you know, it will still make sense to buy that property for investment purpose, given that you may be getting uh, less attractive yield for a few years, but over a longer term, uh, you probably can get a decent uh, capital return. I mean, property, better property prices or valuation in, let's say, 5-10 years later. I suppose we have to ask all those retail consumer bankers to stop offering such attractive FD rates as well. <laughs> Kongwen, thank you very much for your time. It's been insightful having this conversation with you. On The Property Show was Long Kongwen, Senior Analyst, RHB Investment Bank. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.